75%. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chatter. First show of 2024. Happy New Year, Back Chatter. Something Philok. I'm Andrew Work, and my guest presenter to kick off the year is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning. Happy New Year. Hey, I'm feeling the love. For the first half of today's Back Chat, we're going to be talking about New Year's resolutions and get the experts' take on how to best take care of our bodies and our mental health. Lord knows I could use some help. Hoi. At 9.30, we're going to get an economist crystal ball on things that we should be watching out for this year. That comes as the Hang Seng Index ended 2023 with an annual loss of 13.8%, the worst performance of any major APAC market, maybe the world. And at 9.45, grab your popcorn and kick back. We're going to talk cinemas and box office performance and have a look ahead to the movies for the new year. Tell us your predictions for 2024, whether they be economic or movie-wise, on our Facebook page, or email us at backchat at RTHK. You can even call us on 233-88266. And uh, getting into it today, we are going to welcome on the line Dr. Q, uh, Kirla Tane Zaidi, registered psychologist with the Mind and Life Psychology Practice. Good morning. Morning. Hey, great to have you on. Also, Winzi, uh, that's Winzy Lung, uh, registered dietitian in the United States of America. Apparently, we don't have registered dietitians in Hong Kong. Peculiar. But they do have them in the United States, and Winzy Lung is so registered. Uh, she is also a full member of the Hong Kong Dietitians Association. Winzy, great to have you on the show. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Okay, uh, let's see. Let's kick off with uh, Dr. Zadie. Let's, let's get personal. Uh, do you believe in New Year's resolutions? Do you, have you got any for yourself, or is this, is this something that we should even be bothering this? Um, well, thank you for having me. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, I actually think that New New Year resolutions without processing and understanding and learning from what's happened in the last year or what has happened in the past is is just a wish list, right, uh, that you want to be able to achieve, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. And a year-end signifies for us that there is a an end to something and something new is beginning so it's good to be a, it's a good time to set something um that you want to be able to achieve so yeah do i really believe in them i think maybe i'm getting a bit too old to, to <laughs> um to really you know uh, think about new year's resolutions in in the in the in the uh, traditional terms so, yes, do I want to be able to achieve things in 2024 and change some of the things that uh, that in, in my personal life, for example, health? Absolutely, 100%. So it's about prioritizing what is important to you and being able to actively um, create that change in your life so that right. it is sustainable. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Now, what's the difference between a wish list and um, building habits and setting goals? Because, you know, to have a New Year resolution is really about setting a goal for yourself and perhaps even building habits. Uh, but I guess it's uh, it's probably just a wish list um, on a piece of paper, right? Yes. So if you, for example, uh, th- let me clarify. So for example, if you have, uh, if you want to, you know, uh, I want to be able to lose weight. I want to be able to exercise every day. I want to be able to, uh, in 2024, I'm going to stop eating chocolate. Um, those things, are, are they realistic? Are they, you know, that that's a wish list. And, and to be able to 
focus on am I going to make changes in my lifestyle so I have better health. That is a resolution. I guess that's the difference. What what is the psychology behind? Uh, like, is there a group psychology behind these things? Is it you know people on mass decide they're going to improve their lives on January first? The only comparable thing I can think of is Lent uh, for Catholics when they give something up for forty days. But again, it's 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 you know it's this idea of a group movement to make to make a change. Is you know as opposed to just picking a day, uh, September thirteenth. That's my day to change. I mean, is there something different about the gr- a group psychology that gets applied to these these resolutions or, or determination to make change? A hundred percent, because it holds you accountable, right? If you're part of a group, you are accountable to yourself, more accountable to yourself, and you're doing it with other people. You're not doing it in isolation, so it does make a difference. A hundred percent, yeah. Um, Lindsay Lung, um, uh, you know, so many of these resolutions have to do with eating or drinking or not drinking. You know, I'm going to hydrate right. more. I'm going to dry January has become very popular um, in a lot of places. But I mean, aside from the nutritive value of, you know, count, counting calories and, you know, vitamins and minerals and fat content. I mean, but what about the psychology behind this? What, what is it about food and eating and drinking that we can do to help people to, uh, you know, lock in a better behavior? Um, well, about the psychology behind it, it's that um, people usually want to set the goal, you know, at the early um, on in the year that they want to do some health changes or diet change and put it per se like weight loss, right? But I saw um, on an online uh, resolution statistics that um, how long do the resolutions last, uh, especially in the health aspect? Usually, um, it's uh, only for about two or three months that mm. they can sustain. Mm. And then eventually, they feel that if they are not able to sustain and continue, and they will kind of give up and say, oh, I will do it again next year. So I think that set, setting uh, the smaller goals, uh, that's easier to eventually um, make it work and make it as a habit. Yeah, I mean, what is this? I mean, people give it up after a couple of months. I mean, like when you when you get your dietitian training, and I, I know in particular you work with young people. Do you learn psychology to go with that as well? It's all very fine and we will yes, say here are three here are the three meals you should eat every day. It's like yeah, good luck. I mean, you know, do you learn yeah. about the psychology of it? Definitely, um, especially in the counseling part, because uh, for us, seeing patients and clients every day is part of the uh, counseling process that uh, we need to kind of understand the psychology behind it. Of course, we are not like the professional to diagnose people with different mental mental um, uh, issues, disorder, and things like that. But we definitely need to uh, understand what do they have in mind in order to give them uh, their appropriate advice according to the diet. Mm. Right. So what sort of motivation works uh, in particular for young people? Let's say if they want to lose weight or, you know, have mm. uh, healthier food. The motivation is uh, usually from their outlook. <laughs> if, uh, you know, they feel like, oh, my, my clothes is a little tighter or I, um, you know, uh, they have a set goal of uh, a particular body shape. That would be, I would say, the, the, number, one, uh, the number one incentive for them to uh, make a change in, the, in their diet or their health plan. But usually if you have a crash diet, uh, it doesn't last. And then uh, you said two to three months. That's already quite long, you know, in my mind. So um, <laughs> right. And so what triggers, uh, you know, the, the sort of uh, end game of, of this sort of resolution? Um, 
I think it could be festival related because when we are thinking about it, that uh, at, during uh, towards the end of the year uh, in the U.S., we have Thanksgiving, following on uh, with other festival like uh, Christmas and New Year. We have a lot of parties. We have the end of the year gatherings, right? So uh, people, when they gather, uh, especially when they're outside, they tend to eat differently. They tend to eat more than they usually would. So eventually, uh, not everyone, but most of the people, they kind of, you know, would gain weight towards the end of the year. So at the beginning of the year, uh, they want to shed those weight off, right? But then um, uh, you, I talk when I talk about the statistics of uh, the changes, it's in general, you know, for people like they are okay to keep their New Year resolution in the health aspect to up to two to three months, right? Of course, like there are people who would give up like earlier. Uh, so that uh, and then uh, thinking about it about the festival time, uh, there's another festival coming up. Uh, it's kind of like the uh, spring break or, uh, you know, for the younger uh, people or the, the Easter break. So that uh, they will kind of have another uh, round of the gathering or the, um, you know, the festive eating part of it so that if they are able to um, uh, keep their goal or if they are able to have like the first quarter of the success, they tend to uh, pro- prolong longer time. But yet, if they kind of fail at, at the beginning, so then eventually they will give up and say, okay, I'm going to make their New Year resolution again next year. Doctor hmm. uh, uh, Dr. Zadie, does... You know, we you know I asked earlier about the kind of the the mass in society movement to do something and how that reinforces people's or, or gives them the idea or reinforces their will. How about on a more personal level? I mean, I found you know for me 2022, 2022 great year for health because I got up and met my boys. You know, we'd go out and do our ten k every morning, but when they got busy with some other stuff, you know, work picked up after COVID, it all fell by the wayside. You know, I I, I find for me, I need to have somebody to do it with. There has to be like either a social. Uh, element or a gamification of it can people does that matter for some people and maybe not for others or is there something that everybody can take if they can make it into a game or some kind of a challenge yes um it does i think it is it is the accountability and being able to do it with somebody that you are then you know um uh partnered with somebody to be able to do and it's a social thing you're not doing it so for example going for a walk by yourself is you know for some people it might be easier to be able to do that rather than if you do it as a group activity mm. so it, it it does make a difference and it, it really is about you know the lasting change and around that it is about the, you know where you're at with with your goals and being able to uh and within the change cycle where you're at so if you are beginning to become aware that there is something that you want to be able to chase at the pre-contemplation stage of uh, causing a change and you know contemplation is when you're thinking about a change then you're preparing and you're putting a plan together to make a change and in that preparation stage if you are involved with a group or you're doing it with somebody it makes it easier action then action is the stage where you actually make a change and then maintenance is how you know, you determine how to maintain that change. So the New Year's resolutions, it is a, it's a good, as I said earlier, starting of a new year and ending of um, the last year. And that's what makes it, uh, that's why it, these resolutions, you know, uh, become more relevant around that time. Um, and then to be able to maintain it, you can maintain it with a group, people who 
prefer to be in groups or if you're able to kind of do it by yourself some people can. Yeah, I mean, because I think I think was it last year, or the year before, I made it where I had no drinking and vegetarian for the month of January. But the game was see how long I can do it before my family notices. And it it took almost the full month before anybody noticed in my family that I wasn't eating meat <laughs> you know, and not drinking. Oh, wow. You know, they, you know. Oh wow. Yeah, but um, um, that, actually, that was the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I find it interesting that um, uh, you know people are actually very happy. You know, if they can stick to their New Year resolution, if they can be committed to a new habit or a new exercise plan, uh, but somehow it doesn't transfer into um, uh, you know getting that habit stick. So, so eventually, you know, that new habit doesn't stick and it dies down. So, for example, I have a friend who reached uh, 50 uh, very soon and she promised herself and she wrote it on her social media that I would dump 50 big bags of my personal stuff because I'm reaching that age and I don't need those 50 bags. And that she has been so busy over Christmas just um, dumping all these things that she has hoarded, you know, for that mm-hmm. first part of her life. But I'm, you know, but then she told me, oh, I guess I won't continue to um, really dump my stuff uh, after the new, uh, after the birthday. I mean, if you gain weight, if you lose weight, it's easy to gain it back. But you get rid of, you know, a whole pile yeah, of stuff so, like that. It's easy to, you know, how, how could you transfer that sense of satisfaction, that happiness into a new habit? Uh, uh, Dr. Zadie? Oh, hi. Yes. Um, no, it is. Uh, look, you know, this uh, to make it make a change. Change is hard, right? Change is hard. And to make it sustainable, it's even harder. Uh, and that's when it becomes a habit that once you don't have to think about doing those things, it, that's when you have then, you know, that that's when it is a real change. Uh, it requires incremental changes so that we can make ourselves comfortable with the change and ensure that it is then a habit and you don't have to think about it. So you just, you're able to get up in the morning and go to the gym without really putting in too much effort and thought into it. So um, it's the smaller steps that are required and it is the consistency and accountability to yourself and others that makes it, makes the change uh, sustainable. Uh, Dr. Lung, I mean, sometimes, sorry, Wednesday Lung, sometimes people might want to, you know, impose their New Year's resolutions on other people. And I'm thinking about parents and children, you know, Mm -hmm. and and especially in the area of weight gain or weight loss. You see your kids are overweight. They're not doing sports. And as a a parent, you want your kids to be broadly healthy. So you think, okay, this is the year I'm going to get my act together and make my kids get a (laughs) I mean, is that... Is that doable or is that a bit of a lost cause if you are trying to impose your will on somebody else? I mean, do you need to build their buy-in? Mm, or can you actually have an impact with, even if you don't have buy-in? Um, well, it depends on the age of the kid. I mean, if they are, like, younger, I, I mean, like, say, for example, if they are, like, really young, like toddlers, right? Mm. So uh, the diet or uh, their daily life is pretty much arranged or planned by their parents. So, 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 so that would be, you know, uh, more like a New Year resolution for the parents to kind of um, action, right? But then thinking about that, if they are getting older, um, that uh, you know they have their own uh, their own friends or their own social circles, so it might not be as easy as you could imagine if they're a teenager. It would be like even harder. So uh, yes, um, it's more like. I would say um, it's very rather difficult uh, to try to like impose something, you know, onto others. Even you 
know or you plan that okay this is the new year everybody wants to be healthier and the parents they want to uh definitely want their kids to be healthier like either way if they're like underweight or overweight and try to getting normal so this is the parents plan but yet uh, in order to get the child to understand and try to action or to follow it takes some time so i would say that if uh their parents they really want to do something in new year time they probably need to start talking to them like the, the last quarter of the previous year so that they, they can have the preparation and also uh, try to make some ways to get them also aware of the same issues because when the parents think it's in health issues for the kids it doesn't really matter to them yeah so so it really uh you know takes the uh the, the time mm-hmm. to do that i mean how how do you make it positive for kids a positive experience for kids especially because you know if, especially if you're trying to get them to lose weight there's probably a sense of like uh you know in the west they talk about fat shaming um, I mean, how do you turn it into something positive for kids? So it's something they want to work towards as opposed to, you know, I am your parent and this is what we're going to do in the new year. Mm, I see. So so uh, take it as an example for a child who is overweight or obese. All right. So that um, how to make the child to uh, feel it as a positive at the beginning. I would say that almost 100% of the child, they will feel that, oh, it's no need. It's so hard. But yet, if you could give them some short goals that's manageable that you kind of discuss with them that they are willing to do and if they see the results if they see the very beginning effect that is the best incentive for them to continue and follow mm. right and uh, just wondering what what types of diets do you foresee um, which could become quite popular in this year in 2024 uh, mm. in Hong Kong in Hong Kong in particular all right uh, I think that uh, you guys must have heard of the keto diet. Sure. It was yes, quite yeah. of a popular thing in 2023, right? Uh, I would say that this will continue, but it won't be, um, you know, uh, you know, blasting like last year, uh, because that uh, keto diet is actually considered to be uh, one of the quick fixes. Uh, it's easy to keep in a short period of time, but it's hard to sustain. So sustainability is very important. So um, I would say that or foreseeing that uh, Mediterranean diet could be one of the most um, uh, popular or eventually become popular because it is the most effective and successful that will last. Okay, and that focuses Hmm. on uh, uh, fresh uh, seafood or? Yeah, the fresh food, the nuts, the legumes to use the plant protein. So a lot of plants and veggies and fruits. So more uh, towards uh, uh, the, uh, the plant side, and uh, in order for uh, some uh, any, animal food, it's more uh, the fresh seafood, that right. you're correct. Well, what about intermittent fasting? I think every single mm. person around me has done <laughs> IF in, in 2023, yeah. and, and they always boast, oh, I've done a 16-8 today, and... That sort of thing, you yeah. Know? Which I, I think, right. you know, I, I don't want to pour cold water all over for people enthusiastic, but I'm like, yeah, I've been doing it for years. We just called it skipping breakfast, <laughs> you know. Black coffee, right. black coffee, carry on. Breakfast, most important meal of the day. Like, oh no, intermittent fasting. <laughs> don't get right. Right. Um, intermittent fasting would be another thing that uh, would be still existing because uh, people have been trying for years. For some people, if they really do it the correct way they would see the results and they probably would continue. However, uh, this is still um, not very sustainable for some people. 
So for them, that it probably won't work. So hmm. because a Mediterranean diet is more like a food change. So it doesn't have the limit of the time, like what time do you eat, uh, or how much do you eat. It's the change in the food items uh, of the daily meal. So it's more doable. Yeah. So I think I think Mediterranean. You know, everybody loves you know food from the from the Middle East, North Africa. Mm. It doesn't mean you know mm. Spain, Italy, but it doesn't mean binging on pizza all the time. That's for sure. Um, right. You know, Ada's asking something that our, one of our uh, one of our listeners, Piston. It must be mm. me- mechanically minded. Uh, Piston asks, does it take a sustained six months to acquire a new habit and get rid of an old habit? To broaden it out, how long does it take to really lock something in? Dr. Zed, I mean, you know, how long does it take for something to really, really lock in as a, as a habit? Um, well, you know, we've got plenty of studies out there that show us it takes, it can take anything between 21 days, uh, to, from 21 days onwards. To about six, six to eight weeks. If you do it consistently between six to eight weeks, that's been my experience actually, that you're able to sustain it at that time. It doesn't, it's, uh, I haven't seen or read six months, but I do know that in my experience with people that I work with, or even myself, if you're consistently able to do it for six to eight weeks, especially things like mindfulness, um, when you're listening to, or when you're practicing that every day, it does tend to make a difference in your cortisol levels um, around eight weeks. So, so, so I think that that's probably a little more hopeful for people. If somebody says, you know, listen, if I lock this in for eight weeks, maybe I can make a change in my life. Uh, you know, whereas maybe other people might be like, after three weeks, they're like, oh, I can't keep this up forever. Forget it. If you said, you know, eight weeks, meh. I mean, does it does it make it more doable if people are thinking in terms of six to eight weeks to get rid of a bad habit or lock in a new good one? Yes. Uh, because it is incremental, right? Incremental change, and you can see hope. It's always helpful. But six months is a long time to be able to tell yourself it's going to take me six months to be able to do that uh, and make it a sustainable change. It, it makes it harder. So, but in reality, honestly, I mean, the studies show six to eight weeks. You tend you tend to see the results. Mm. Right. So, um, do you still suggest to parents and children? Uh, to set goals and to, to come up with New Year resolutions, or do you think that uh, they might become a source of stress, um, you know, for parental relationships? Um, it, it does, as, as uh, Lindsay said, it does depend on the age of the child. However, if it becomes a ritual of connection within your family and you do it all together, the group activity, as Andrew mentioned previously, uh, it, it can become something fun that you do. Uh, everybody does together. For example, we're all going to decrease screen time. You know, every uh, all of us are going to decrease screen time, our use of um, screen in 2024, and let's see who does most. So if you have the buy-in, if you are doing it together, if you're talking about it together, and you're, it's a ritual of connection within the family that you're doing as part of ending of the new year and beginning of the ending of the last year and beginning of the new year, then it, it definitely can become an activity which would, you, you know, it, it creates accountability. Everybody is doing it together. And uh, you're beginning to look outside the window and, you know, notice things around you more than just focusing on the screen. Everybody. Oh, the ending is less screen time. That's interesting. And I know the, uh, the, the classically liberal, classically libertarian think tank, uh, the Fraser Institute in Vancouver, one of their supporters gave them a giant placard that's in their boardroom. And it says, if it matters, measure it. 
And I think for the screen time, you can download apps that tell you how much time you've been spending on screens. You can actually track it and work those 100%. numbers down. Yeah. yeah. You can. It's, it's something that you can track. And um, we did this about, I don't know, when my, my daughter was a teenager who's now in her 20s, about 12 years ago. Um, we put away our phones in one of the Decembers and to see who was going to, you know, use it the least. And it was really fun to see. It was fun to see. It was a fun activity to do. So, yes, you can measure it and it can become a fun thing together. little social, little gamification can help you along your way with your New Year's resolutions. All right. I like that. Uh, great place to wrap up for the first half of the show in the new year with uh, Kura Tulane Zaidi, registered psychologist at Mind and Life Psychology Practice. Thank you for joining us today. Also, Wincy Lung, registered dietitian in the United States of America and full member of the Hong Kong Dietitians Association. Thank you both for coming on the show. Quick hit on the weather. Mainly cloudy. Uh, visibility relatively low. I think a lot of you have noticed it's been pretty pretty muggy the last few days. Even though the temperature is great, it is currently 18 degrees Celsius and 75% humidity here at Backchat. It's 9.30 and now the news with Steve Dunthorne. Thousands of people in Japan have spent the night in evacuation centres following a powerful earthquake yesterday in Ishikawa Prefecture. There have been more than 100 aftershocks. Officials say six people are confirmed to have been killed. An unknown number of people are trapped beneath the rubble in several towns. Somalia's government has called an emergency cabinet meeting after the breakaway region of Somaliland announced that it had struck a deal with Ethiopia. As part of the accord struck in Addis Ababa, Somaliland said it would grant landlocked Ethiopia access to the Red Sea in return for recognition of its independence. Locally, the Electrical and Mechanical Services Department has given CLP power four weeks to submit a report on a voltage dip yesterday that left people trapped in lifts. We'll have more news at 10 o'clock. To prevent measles, vaccination is the most effective measure. You should also maintain personal and environmental hygiene. Always keep your hands clean. Cover your mouth and nose when sneezing or coughing. If symptoms occur, wear a mask and inform a doctor of your travel history. Consult your doctor two weeks before traveling to a place with lots of measles cases. For details, visit chp.gov.hk. The road harbour crossings have implemented time-varying tolls. Tolls for private cars and motorcycles vary by time slots and are lower during off-peak hours. Between these time slots, tolls will gradually increase or decrease every two minutes. Taxis' tolls remain at $25 all day, while other commercial vehicles have uniform tolls at $50 all day. Check out the HKE Mobility app or the toll displays at tunnels for real-time tolls. And we're back on Back Chat. It's our first show of 2024. I'm Andrew Work here with, uh, here with Ada Wong. And we are welcoming to the show now Rita Lee, the Associate Professor from the Department of Economics and Finance at Hong Kong Shuyan University, to talk about the economy, economics, uh, investment 2024. Good morning, Associate Professor Lee. Good morning. Good morning. So 2023, uh, 
the less said, the better for Hong Kong? <laughs> well, uh, I think actually, uh, if you go to like the places, like for example, yesterday I've been to City Gate, uh, next, right next to the airport uh, yesterday, and then I found that there are actually a lot of tourists, and then uh, it is uh, the uh, it is uh, the I, I think it is a time for which that I have seen uh, the largest number of tourists in that shopping mall among all the years that I've been to there. And then uh, there are like a, there is an obvious increase in the number of tourists from India, and then uh, uh, there are a lot of the tourists also come from the like, mainland China. And then uh, if you try to look at from this perspective, uh, it is nothing. It is uh, not really bad uh, if you if you if you go there. Um, so it just tells us that well, if you're if you're like for example, if uh, the businessman can do something to attract uh, for some of the tourists back uh, to Hong Kong. Uh, it can actually uh, boost and uh, Hong Kong economy, and then, uh, however, the businessmen need to do a lot more than before because, like, uh, for example, the tourists that they come to Hong Kong in the past that they mainly they come from those those like wealthy city, but like for example, my friend who come from Australia, uh, she has been to Chimsa uh, Chui already. Then this time she only go to Causeway Bay. So it means that uh, if we need to continue and um, uh, our like tourism uh, industry in a very good way, uh, we have to have some of the uh, some of the new uh, tourist attractive points. And then this is what we are lacking of. Like for example, if you go to those like uh, a hotel in uh, in Lantau, you will find that well the building is sort of boring. If you go to other places, like for example Macau, or if you go to other places like in Europe, for example, you may find that there are some of the uh, hotel that they have got some of the uh, some of the special theme. Like for example, one of them, their theme is that they have got a, a camera making uh, factory, and then they have got a hotel there, and then hotel they have got a lot of history about like uh, the cameras, and then so that when you go there. They, uh, that you can have got a lot of history, a lot of idea about the camera, and then you will also buy the latest camera there. So it means that we are falling sort of some of the attractive points that it attracts those like tourists back to Hong Kong. And then um, if we look at, like for example, the city gates that I went uh, yesterday, I found that actually the prices are not cheap. It is actually the most expensive among all the years that I've been to there. So it means that price is not really we target at. We cannot just uh, lower the price, cut the price, and then to attract the tourists. But we have to have use other methods, other approaches to attract our tourists to come to ours, our mm. place. Yes, um, Dr. Lee. I also uh, read some figures that um, you know on 31st of December we had these great fireworks, and I know that a lot of people crossed the border to come to Hong Kong to go to Tsimshanshu and watch the fireworks. Or they tried, but then they they actually went back right away, probably back uh, across the border to Shenzhen or to to other cities in the Greater Bay Area because transportation is so convenient these days. So yeah, uh, yes, you did mention creativity of the hotel sector the tourism sector, but what do you make of the fact that now it is so convenient just to cross the border and they don't stay for the night? Well, this is uh, something that is like very common phenomenon uh, these days already. For example, uh, my friend, uh, my friend's uh, cousin who is now uh, living in uh, Chiu Chow, for example, uh, he usually travel to, travel to Hong Kong for one day. Like uh, every Saturday, he come to Hong Kong and then he sit in the Starbucks and then uh, play uh, and then uh, watch the uh, read, read all the websites there for the whole day. And then uh, his expenses is only like, uh, for example, the lunches, uh, dinners, and then uh, and then he go back. 
So uh, it's just like every week it's like that. He comes uh, for the he have, comes for the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To get outside then, uh, the Great Firewall. Uh, well, actually, for the fireworks case, uh, what we have seen is that this is also something that we are now facing. Uh, the tourists come to Hong Kong; they, they only uh, uh, they they only go here for a short time, and then they go to like Shenzhen, and then uh, because the Shenzhen hotel are really cheap as compared to Hong Kong side, and then uh, uh, so we cannot compete with that. So it means that, as what I said, we cannot compete with the, we cannot compete with the others surrounding us that we try to cut the uh, cut the cost, cut the price. We actually need to do something more to attract the tourists to stay here. And then, uh, as what I said, it's like what is what sort of thing is special? It is not about price because, like for example, when we talk about some of the uh, some of the uh, hotels uh, or like some of the hotels in like Japan or in other places, what we have seen is that. Uh, including a shopping mall, we have seen is that some of them they will try to use like cartoon, for example. Uh, this is the only place where we have got like, for example, Garfield's uh, uh, hotel and then Garfield shopping mall and then Garfield whatsoever. So that you have got a place to take photos and then to share with others. So that uh, in the in the modern days we are talking about like uh, sharing everything in the social media. So social media plays a very important role in attracting people to stay and then uh, to to have fun over there. Rather than we just talk about price. If we talk about price, sorry, we we cannot compete with that. We talk about like the high labor costs. We we have got high labor costs. We have got a high uh, high uh, rent fee as compared to that in uh, mainland China. And then we also need to do a lot of things to boost the tourists come from everywhere else, not come from, just come from mainland China. No, we, we have done a good job uh, in attracting mainland China. But how about those that, who will stay in Hong Kong for a longer time? Like, for example, uh, uh, like India, Malaysia, we have, uh, we have seen also like tr- uh, uh, tourists from like uh, Thailand yesterday. And then uh, actually, like, uh, for example, Thailand, uh, take Thailand as an example. A lot of the wealthy and also richest group, uh, they actually always go overseas every year because uh, usually if they once they have got like a, a holiday, they have actually a lot of holidays actually, and then uh, they will go overseas. And yep. then, uh, right. but then the question is that uh, where do they choose, or what sort of things that they try, uh, they try to choose when they when they uh, uh, consider about the uh, the tourist spots? Then we have to identify something that is like new, exciting, and then uh, eye catching, and so as like we are talking about some places that we can take photos and share with everyone and then uh, around our, our friends circle so that the people will go. So, cr- so this is what we are lacking of. So creativity, got it. Uh, you know, new attractions for people, cater to social media. But does there need to be, is, are we undergoing a fundamental shift in what is happening? You've got restaurants that everyone's like, oh, COVID's over, restaurants are fine. <laughs> They're not because they are carrying debt from you know, that they took on during COVID and they are not making that money back to cover that debt, especially with rising interest rates. And landlords are, you know, as always in Hong Kong, just really tough on on accommodating uh, rent. But, you know, we don't have people coming and lining up at Louis Vuitton stores now. Now they're like, oh, how can you do the cheapest possible visit when you travel, whether it's in China or coming to Hong Kong? Like you said, they come here, go back to the hotels in Shenzhen. I mean, conspicuous consumption is out. El Chipo Tourist is in. I mean, do we need to have a fundamental repricing of the whole city? Are we going to see old establishments, you know, get 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 wiped off the map because landlords aren't coming down on rent and they're carrying debt, and we're just going to have to be a cheaper overall, lower rents? I mean, is the whole economy going to have to like downgrade a little bit in terms of pricing? 
right down to the rents? Which... Uh, uh, I, I don't think we should downgrade that because uh, uh, the tourists become uh, uh, what, you, what you mentioned is like cheaper. No. Uh, as what I say, it's like if you try to compete with mainland China, we have no way to compete with that. Can we, mm. uh, like for example, in mainland China, they have got like $2,000 per month. RMB. Can we cut the uh, salary to 2,000-something uh, Hong Kong dollar? No, no it is impossible. No way. We never want to cut our salary, right? Nobody wants to cut our salary. Sure. So it means that we are not trying to, our targets should not be attracting those tourists that they only come to Hong Kong for one day and then they go back immediately. We, are, we have to expand our tourists, uh, uh, the pool of the tourists from elsewhere, that they uh, we really spend, uh, spend the time here spend uh, the time for hotel, etc. Because uh, if it's only the time if they spend for five or six days, then they will spend a lot of money in Hong Kong, and then Hong Kong economy will be revitalized. So how we can do that, like for example, we have a lot of like exhibitions, jewelry exhibitions, uh, exhibitions, gold uh, exhibitions, that kind of high-end exhibitions that we have to have got more events like that. Sure. In, in terms of like sports events, we have a lot of like sponsorship from the sports company where they sponsor everywhere uh, athletes come to Hong Kong. And these sort of things that we need to have that. Mm. But we also need to have a lot of like special events, like for example, the singers, uh, top singers from all over the world. You can see that, like for example, uh, 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 Leon Lai, Jackie Chan. You may find that there are a lot of tourists that they are attracted to come to Hong Kong because of the, the their idols, not because of other reasons. And these people usually, if they can pay for, like for example, uh, more than a thousand dollars for just one night expenditure, you can expect that they will not just say that. Well, I don't want to spend the time in the hotel. Yeah, <laughs> they will not yeah. be the one that they don't they don't want to spend the money, right? So it means that we have to consider what sort of the events that it can be host and we should have host a lot more discount kind of events yeah. so as to attract those who can pay for the money and they will travel for long distance to come to Hong Kong. Sure, we do want to talk about sectors other than tourism of course I've got a question here from Steve that's going to be my pivot into real estate uh, Steve, one of our listeners sends an email and says, any views on the secondary property market in 2024 what are we in for property? And let's start with the secondary property market and we'll take it from there well, uh, actually, for the secondary uh, property market, it's very clear that now the major problem is that because of the relative high interest rate. So, uh, in terms uh, in terms of the housing, if we put the money into the bank, we have got like five percent in return. For example, four or five percent in return, which is like uh, everywhere uh, we have got more or less similar. And then, if you put the money into the housing market, unfortunately, you have to pay a lot of the uh, fees. So you have to pay the tax to the government. You have to pay the waiting uh, uh, um, uh, uh, to the government, and then you have to pay a lot of expenses. So what does it mean is that, well, if you want to revitalize our, our housing market, uh, a key issue for which that we cannot control is actually the high, relatively high interest rate. But fortunately, in 2024, I guess that the interest rate should have got a room to be kept down. But the, but the room is not really huge. I, th- I only think that the, uh, that would be a relatively uh, small cut in the house, uh, in the real estate, uh, in the interest rate, uh, in the interest rate only. Second one is about the mainland China's economy. Uh, the main reason is that, well, uh, when when we talk about like who buy our housing, our housing, uh, we have got the local who buy the housing. We have got the mainland Chinese who buy the housing previously that they take a luggage of money and then come to Hong Kong to buy the man, uh, to buy the housing. But then uh, this phenomenon is not really likely because uh, you will see that actually those those tourists who come to Hong Kong, you will find that they are like they they even do not want to spend 
just like $1,000 or $4,000 for one night for the hotel. So it means that not to mention about the housing market. So actually, the mainland China's uh, economy will play a very important role in uh, in Hong Kong uh, uh, in Hong Kong real estate market as well. But you're saying it'll play an important role by not playing an important role. You're, <laughs> you're saying that they're, they're going to be they're going to be missing in action. So secondary, so people that own properties currently cannot depend on the mainland people coming down here and buying property. So that that's not going to help prices. I mean, what's your overall outlook? Or is it going to be if we get an interest rate cut? cut are prices going to go up and there'll be a little bit of joy there or are things going to be flat or you know, could we even see declining prices? I think there will be uh, there will be still a drop in the housing prices because of the high interest rate, not because of other reasons. Main main reason in Hong Kong for many years is because of the interest rate. Where well, when we put the money into the market, we are talking about like, oh, whether or not that if I do nothing and then I can get five percent, great, right? If I do nothing, I can get five percent. Why not just do nothing? But then if you try to spend the money in the housing market, and then you have to think about. Uh, whether or not that if I rent the house to like this person or to that person, will they pay the rent to me? Or whether or not I have to pay for like those like fixing uh, repairment or whatever, and then the government yeah. taxes, etc. Yeah. So these are not really attractive at all, right? Yeah. If you try to compare, like I, I just uh, lay down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and some people, I mean, even under this environment, some people will buy. What always sticks with me are my parents saying. Oh, you guys yeah, think it, yeah, you you think what? well. My parents say you think interest rates are high now. When we bought our house, it was twenty percent, and then I'm like, why did you buy a house when it was twenty yeah. percent? But but people still do. So um, Rita, so that that's given us a little bit of insight. Thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Thank I think you. I think we need more than you know our ten to fifteen minutes uh, for this topic, and hopefully we'll come back to it again on Back Chat. Uh, but today we've been lucky enough to have Rita Lee, associate professor from the Department of Economics and Finance at Hong Kong Shuyan University, to get some insights for us. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Back Chat. Call us on two double three double eight two double six and have your say. All right, it's Andrew Work and Ada Wong here on Back Chat for the first show of 2024. Man, we are our producers are really stretching us today, Ada. We, <laughs> we are going from New Year's resolution, psychology, and diets. I know into covering four topics: economic outlook, and then boom, onto movies. I mean, you know, we are deep. Maybe uh, we're not deep. We're wide. We're wide, not yeah. necessarily deep, but. We are, as I said, talking movies, and uh, we welcome back to the show Elizabeth Kerr, film critic. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. Happy New Year to you both. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So, um, Elizabeth, I'm looking. I'm looking. So, you know, we want to look forward to the year of 2024. I'm looking down uh, a list of anticipated new movies, and I definitely see a trend, which is a critique that you hear every year. Uh, <laughs> mean Girls with Tina Fey, Reheat, Madam Web extending the Spider-Man franchise, uh, you know, when superhero movies seem to have it. Dune Part 2, sequel. Kung Fu Panda Part 4, a sequel. Uh, yep. Ghostbusters yep. 5. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, derivative, derivative, derivative. Um, I, yep. I mean, is this going to be an, another year of we're just drowning in sequels? Is there anything original coming down the pipeline? Uh, there's always original stuff coming down the pipeline. The problem is... Do we get to hear about any of it? Do we get a warning that it's coming? And if it does land here, does it stay in the theater for longer than a week? I know people, I've told people, oh, this this opens next Friday or next Thursday. Go see it. They're like, great. They look around they're, they're, and they're, uh, well, I looked for it and it was in one play, one theater in Chunwa and I couldn't make it on Sunday morning and it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's part of the problem. And and the other problem, of course, is simply after the year that well, when you when you talk about Madame Web and Despicable Me Four and Kung Fu 
stand-up, whatever, 26, all these. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, talk a, there's about a lot. Clothes, that's simply, that's, that's Hollywood trying to, uh, to kind of get itself back into the black, I guess, yeah. after the 2020 they had. 2023 went down, down flames. Um, Zaslav has become a verb meaning to kill something with no good reason other than to satisfy your shareholders. Blah, blah, what is blah. That, what is that uh, word? Zaslav? It, it's, David Zaslav is the chair of Warner Brothers Discovery. Ah, Zaslav. Right, Warner Brothers Discovery. David Zaslav. So if you Zaslav something, it means that you're killing it because that's a better tax break than actually releasing a piece of art that a lot of people worked a long time on, which he's done about five times this year. Oh, interesting. So, that, that, you know, that, that, so, used, that used to be a thing in Canada where they had these massive tax breaks. So in the 1980s, there was this, just an incredible oh, yeah. slew of really bad movies came out of Canada because if your yeah. movie lost money, yeah. as an investor, you would make money. Because the tax exactly, breaks. Exactly. Yeah. And the people who made Porky's are still angry <laughs> to this because... Yeah. It made a ton of money. Yeah, and it wasn't and supposed like, to. No, that wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that, so that's the classic. Is, yeah, so this is you know coming full circle kind of thing, and this is what we're going to have. Things like Kung Fu Panda twenty six and Bad Boys thirty two and Inside Out two, like Pixar. Come on, we you know we expected better of you. A two brute. Um, and I didn't think In and Out did like I loved it. I thought it was a great movie, but it, I didn't really do that well. I'm, I was surprised to see a, a number two coming out. It's the number two because it's a known property. It's yeah. the it's the next Netflixification of of almost everything. You need content for all your streaming platforms, which everybody has suddenly realized is not a viable, long term, sustainable model. Um, you need content that people recognize and that they are more likely to come to than something like I don't know, uh, like The Hunger Games. Oh, poor thing, hmm. poor like things open. The Hunger Games is a good example. Yeah, exactly. Poor yeah. Things opens in in, um, in February, and it's certainly not something that anybody that is a recognizable property, um, unless you're an art house nerd. Mm-hmm. And and so you know the Inside Out two is a safer bet, regardless of how well the first one did. Are they getting smarter about doing these things on the cheap? Because you know I mentioned the Hunger Games uh, because you know they came out with this new one, the prequel. And uh, the ballad of songbirds and lizards, or something, and uh, snakes. snakes. There you go. Lizard. Yeah, my daughter would see it. But, but I mean, the, the lesson from that one was that they actually did it on the cheap. I think the budget was like half of what they did for the previous movies because they were like, yeah, we're kind of stretching this a bit. But because the budget was so cheap compared to the originals, mm-hmm. the, the first series, they're making yeah. money off it, even though it hasn't been as successful because the budget was lower. It's a money maker. Boom, yeah. there'll be another and another. I mean, is, is, are they smarting um, up? Well, um, well, Hunger Games also is a is a is a known quantifiable property. Um, the first three did well. The books did well. You can mine a new generation on a new one on a new series, as well as turn them onto the old ones that are licensing elsewhere and make money off those. On and on and on and on. It's 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 a, a, a big interconnected kind of ecosystem. Uh, and when we say cheap. That is relatively speaking. I mean, the, the 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 budget of I don't know what the budget of of the recent Hunger Games movie was, but I'm sure it was probably more than the, you know, gross national product of Eswatini or something. <laughs> so, but but the point is, so it was it was less than the other ones. Yeah, you know, 
It used yeah, to be they would exactly. it used to be they would double up. They're like, oh, this one's successful. Double the budget for the next one, and then it's a big bomb, yeah. and everyone's like, ooh, we just yeah, killed yeah. that. Yeah. And 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 whether well, they are originals or sequels, it seems that people don't really go to the cinema as often as they should. Because uh, we saw a uh, Christmas box office uh, hitting a 20-year record low in Hong Kong. What what do you make mm-hmm. of that? Um, to that, I say, did you see Aquaman? <laughs> no. I love, the, no. I love, I love the first People one. People will go yeah. to movies if, they, if there's something they want to see. The whole – this has been – this is a subject that comes up a lot in Hong Kong, especially. The industry is dead. The industry is dying. No, not quite yet. Okay, it's dying soon then. Okay, well, again, not quite yet. Oh, this is it this time. No, it's not it this time. Oh, there's no theaters. Okay, yeah, there aren't any theaters. Oh, but look, there's this one, this one, and this one have sprung up. People, Hong Kongers like to go to movies. Um, but like any other audience, they don't particularly want to go to movies that are garbage, that are a dumpster fire, especially in, in an economy like this. It's a treat now. Um, a few years back, it might have been, oh, you know, every Friday and Saturday you go to a movie, boom, done. Um, mm. Now it's more of a, okay, let's pick our fights. Let's. Uh, I want to see this one. This looks like something that should be on the big screen. This looks like this. I'm not interested in that. I've heard terrible things across the board about that. Okay, so we'll do this one. And Aquaman just isn't, I mean, it's fun. It's, you know, diverting. It's not great. Um, the first one was probably better. Mm-hmm. Um, Wonka's the same, great family entertainment, and I think probably of the three big ones that you guys mentioned earlier, uh, or that you sent me a message about earlier, uh, that Wish and, and uh, Aquaman, Wonka's probably the best. But none of them are, are so earth-shattering enough that it's going to make people, people go to a movie. I think people will go to Dune Part 2. Mm. Hong Kongers mm. went to Oppenheimer. Like they'll go to movies if there's something to go for. So I don't, I don't really worry about about audiences. I worry about content. Yeah. See, and look, Zaslav's got me saying that to content. It's not content. It's a film. It's a piece of art. Um, Zaslav! Um, <laughs> yeah, and so I, I remember that, Barbie and Oppenheimer, you know, those were yeah, the summer hits. Exactly. Are, there, are, there exactly. any, are, are there any Barbie and because Oppenheimers on the, on the horizon? Are there any Barbies or Oppenheimers on the horizon? Well, Mattel has a whole bunch of stuff on the horizon because of Barbie, but that's another story altogether. Is there another Oppenheimer? Uh, that's uh, that's lightning in a bottle. It doesn't happen all the time. Um, but it, it was a Christopher there. Nolan. It was a like people knew it's Christopher yeah. Nolan. It's going to be imp- it's going to be an important film like Tenet and everything else exactly. is done. And that's another thing. Nolan's films have always done well in Hong Kong. Hong Kongers for some reason really like really dig Nolan. So it's not surprising that was uh, that that's that that was a hit. But you know, Barbie was also a hit. There were a whole bunch of things that people went to this year. And if you give people something that they that they're interested in that they want to see, they'll go. A Guilty Conscience was the biggest film of the year here, ahead of Oppenheimer. A Guilty Conscience? T- yeah, the local film by Jack M- and ah. uh, it, you know, it hit a bunch of it hit a bunch of nerves. It talked to people. It was coming at. I spoke with him in Udine last year, and he said, you know, I got lucky as well at the release date. It was coming out of lockdown, and it was around Chinese New Year. It was just before Lunar New Year, and everybody wanted to go out with the family, get together. It'd been three years. Oh my God, let's go to a movie. So, you know, the, the dominoes lined up. So is Hong Kong going to produce another $115 million grocer? Who knows? Mm. Um, who knows this year? But, you know, the, the chances are the chances, the potential is there. You just have to you just have to know what you're making. Yeah, yeah. And I've noted that um, uh, cinemas are, are now doing like 9 a.m. shows on Sundays. 
I, I, and I guess, um, I don't know, is it because of the high rent? And do people really go to see a movie at night? I go, I go, I go. You do. That's my thing. I will go see a Saturday or Sunday morning because it's, it's cheap. Right, like from sixty five, sixty five to ninety five, as opposed to one hundred and forty to one hundred sixty in some places. Yeah, and I mean, you go, you go last minute because you know there's not going to be many yeah. people, and then I get a. But seat. that doesn't really make money well, for get, the for the cinema. True, there's maybe twenty five people, you know, of three or four hundred seats. I'll I'll get a seat right in the front, so there's nobody in front of me messing around with their phone, and yep. it's like a private yep. viewing. That's my favorite thing. Yeah. So as Elizabeth was saying, you know, you have got, um, you know, for the first week, you've got a, a big thing that goes from a week for seven p.m. and nine p.m. shows, and then. They drop to 9 a.m. all of a sudden yeah. during week two. Yeah. Some, p- putting something, putting something, putting a premium film at 9 a.m. doesn't really make a lot of doesn't make an awful lot of sense. Um, and uh, mostly it comes down to most uh, some theater, some cinemas own their their theater. So if you've got the space. If it's there anyway, and these days, you know, there's no projector projectionists anymore. You, it's a, it's all DCP. You fire up the digital the digital screening, and you go. It doesn't hurt. Um, right. It's a couple of bucks that um, you wouldn't have gotten otherwise for minimum for minimum outlay. And sometimes those nine o'clock screenings, those are the ones that that's where the the traction is gained for word of mouth films like uh-huh. A Guilty Conscience or. Um, or the other one from a couple of years ago, Sparring Partner. These things, these, these were word of mouth hits as well. Um, right. You know, the, there's there's a there's a space for that 9 a.m. show, and I'm with him. I love the 9 a.m. shows. If I miss a press screening for some reason, oh boy, oh look at that, Times Square 9:15, I'm there, and you know, I get my review on time. So. Yeah, there's there's a there's a place for them, and they certainly don't hurt. We we've got a minute left. I have one quick question, and then because I, I have a follow up to go with it. Um, do you ever pay for movies sure. anymore, or do you just because you're a critic, you get to go for free all the time? <laughs> um, I do pay. You do pay. Um, so here's I my follow up question then. Uh, which program is the best? I have the Emperor Cinemas. Like I'm, a, I'm a, I actually pay 250 bucks a year, or whatever it is, and it's definitely yeah. worth it. As a, a you know frequent moviegoer, what would you recommend to our listeners if they're going to join like a, a you know like a, a cinemas frequent flyer program? I don't even know if the other ones have one, but but which cinemas yeah. would you recommend kind of aligning yourself with? Ooh, that's really difficult because uh, Emperor for you know Emperor will have uh, often the same program the same movie will open in emperor cinema on this coming thursday as opens in an edco film an edco cinema and mcl all of them Mm. there isn't really any sort of um brand loyalty for distributors so to speak especially in places where parts of the city that don't have this brand or that brand so um there's no real there's no real brand loyalty but if i was going to go to one again and again and, and again I see. That's the thing. It depends on it depends on your tastes. If you want to see Kung Fu Panda twenty six and and um, <laughs> and uh, Despicable Me eighteen, if you want to see those, go to the Emperor's probably the best one because I Square has the best IMAX screen. Yeah. Mm. Um, go then, see that one. If you're more of an art house geek, Golden Scene. Oh, Golden uh, Scene in, in Shenghuan or Saying Point. Yeah, Kennedy Town. Kennedy Town. Kind of, yeah. All right. Well, it's, let's, a, it's a great little. Yeah, art house I like Golden cinema. Scene a lot. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, that's Elizabeth Kerr, film critic, joining us today to look forward to 2024 and talk movies in Hong Kong. Thanks for joining us. Back Chat's going to be back tomorrow with Janice Wong and Philip Wong. And a thanks to Ada Wong. That's a lot of Wong, but you can't go. You're always right when you go with Wong. Thanks, Ada.
Thank you, Andrew. All right. Thanks to Raphael Blett, our producer, and our audio engineer, Tsang Wing Ming. We are kicking off 2024. Let's go back, chatters.